0: Welcome to the Clayton Youth Safety Pod, a podcast series on safety issues in a pandemic world. I'm your host, Hilary Searing, a partner in the Workplace Relations, Employment and Safety Team. Today I have with me Shay McCartney. Shay is the head of our National Safety Practice. Um, Thank you for joining me here today. Thanks for having me again, Hilary. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Today we're talking about a, a serious issue that is really becoming a lot more front of mind and I think the pandemic has really helped to I guess shine a light on this uh, what is a very serious and disturbing issue and I guess today we're talking on that issue we're talking about harassment so bullying and also sexual harassment and I wanted to talk about how COVID working from home some of the challenges that that brings, the virtual world, and then also the return to the physical workplace. And again, also there's been a release of some sexual harassment guidance material from Safe Work Australia. So just putting that into context and as a framework. Shay, what I wanted to ask you is, can you help sort of distill that difference between sexual harassment and what is and what isn't sexual harassment and and bullying and the differences?
1: Uh, yes, Hilary, I guess, you know, As you know, the name itself uh, gives the the difference away in that sexual harassment obviously has to have an element of sexual conduct in relation to it. So under the Sex Discrimination Act, the definition is that behaviour must be unwelcome, it must be of a sexual nature... And it must be such that a reasonable person would anticipate in the circumstances that the person harassed would be offended, humiliated, and or intimidated. So that's, you know, some technical terms. But you know, the first important bit, as mm. we know, is that the unwelcome aspect. So some pe- consensual relationships. <laughs> <laughs> that's exactly right. But importantly, we have to be careful because two people's consensual relationship can actually sexually harass another person. I think
0: that's an area that's not really very well understood, that that sort of bystander issue becoming uh, sort of offended by certain conduct.
1: Yeah. And I think, you know, as you talk about sexual harassment in a pandemic world and people say, well, you know, how how could that occur or how can it be any different? And, you know, we've had a case recently where unfortunately two people were having a consensual relationship, a consensual intimate relationship, (laughs) which they decided to do at the workplace and most workplace have a policy where that would not be so appropriate. Not appropriate unfortunately they also didn't understand perhaps the workings of technology. Um, technology and left the camera on when they were supposed to be attending a corporate meeting The people who have been subjected to witnessing that conduct Mm. have probably been sexually harassed because it's conduct of a sexual nature. Unwelcome. (laughs) Unwelcome from the perspective of the the people viewing. And a reasonable person would anticipate that it might offend someone or uh, humiliate or even intimidate them depending on the nature of what was going on. Whereas, of course, harassment that might not be sexual harassment might be conduct that is aggressive or bullying in nature. It's still unwanted conduct. Harassment has to be repeated. Bullying and harassment has to be repeated conduct. Yes. Whereas sexual harassment a one-off event can be sexual harassment. And I think that's also
0: an It's a very important distinction.
1: And one that's not often well understood. But I think uh, as we look at the changing nature of work and the current environment that we're in, I think it's very difficult for employers because they're having to respond to what is at the moment a very emotional and charged issue, which has a lot of importance for people and has a lot of potential impact to damage people, but they're still having to respond to it with the same employer legislative framework and I think you, you you mentioned the new code and I'd be very interested to talk about that but I think that what is often not well understood is that while we have specific legislation relating to sexual harassment, it is also a safety obligation to provide a, a safe and healthy workplace and where people are subjected to sexual harassment or bullying and harassment, then you know that obviously creates a safety risk, creates a risk to people's mental health and also their physical health potentially. And so we also have to deal with it under a work health and safety framework. Yeah.
0: I think that's really important, Shay, because I think you, you're spot on. I alluded to that at the beginning of the conversation is that Safe Work Australia has, on the 27th of, of January, released um, some guidance material on, on sexual harassment. But the importance of that guidance material is that it, it really highlights, I think, that sexual harassment is is a safety issue. And I, and I think, of course, we have had discrimination legislation in place for a number of years, You know, the, the sexual discrimination legislation, both at the Commonwealth and state levels, and we also have the and harassment provisions, and of course that's also enshrined in the Fair Work Act, but we now have sexual harassment being identified as a safety issue. And as you said, we have a, a duty as an employer to provide a safe place of work and what that guidance material is doing, and I understand that that is, it's been released and that they are anticipating determining that or, or considering making this a code, a code of practice. And at the moment it's just guidance material, but obviously very important but if it becomes a code in some states, for example, in Queensland, that becomes mandatory. And so I think the importance of the guidance material as well is that we really are, if I'm just gonna talk pure health and safety perspective for a minute, what is identified as a material in this guidance note is material that employers are going to be taken to be on notice of. That's something that they now know or reasonably to have known about a particular hazard, in this case sexual harassment. So they therefore do, you know, front and squarely now have to, if they weren't, should have been, but if they weren't, they really front and squarely now have to address this from a safety perspective, from a you know, from your, your consideration of your WHS Act, your hierarchy of controls and managing and dealing with that from, from a safety perspective. And, and the guidance material is really interesting it calls out a number of things that, the, that have the potential to sort of provide areas of risk in your workplace. And I think that, that from my reading of the guidance material is that these are areas that, that the material is identifying, say, well, if you have these kind of risk areas in your business, you really need to be looking at this more closely, even if you don't actually think that you have a sexual harassment issue in your workplace. Um, it identifies that we have 17%, only 17% of people who are actually sexually harassed come forward. So it's an area that is known for under-reporting, and I think we have a similar situation with bullying. But we have an area where it's... A number of underreporting, and so if you have some of these risk groups in your um, in your business, they're sort of identifying that you really need to look at that more closely. And some of the things they're talking about is low worker diversity, you know, where you're you're dominated by one gender, you know, male or female, or otherwise, you know, age group, race, culture, um, power imbalances where one gender holds most of the management and decision making positions. And some of the things I think that could be really important from a COVID perspective, Shane, and I'll be interested in in your views on that is things like alcohol in a work context, attendance at at work events and social events. And I know that a lot of our clients have been trying to drive up some sort of social, um, cultural events at, you know, particularly trying to bring people together during this, this time when people have been so isolated. So what do you think some of the impacts of that could be in terms of a, you know, sexual harassment risk
1: perspective? I have certainly seen employers who have attempted to create more conducive environments and and to help people reconnect but using you know internet platforms and we you know we had one example of a client who had a prize and the rules were that the pictures that were submitted must be instagram allowable um which instagram has rules as to you know levels of content Yes. yes and so unfortunately though there's actually a broad range of things that it, Instagram allows that, that Instagram allows that um, perhaps workplaces are not workplace appropriate. So you know, Instagram is not a workplace; it's it's sure. a social media. And so you know, someone submitted a picture and uh, it, it was uh, had had nudity in it. And whilst some bits were covered, other other bits were exposed, and and people took offence. And when you look at the the definitions, well, you know, there are risks. It's really, I guess, important that we think about looking again at our policies and procedures and setting out what is workplace appropriate and having clear delineations again that just because we're perhaps working from home, perhaps Mm. communicating over the internet. We've seen an increase in sharing of memes and, you know, I think most people have agreed that the internet was our saviour during um, lockdowns and uh, how wonderful the comedy of so many people under pressure was and, you know... We survived because of those memes, but I think
0: you're seeing that blur the real blurring of those boundaries, I think, between work and, and social. I mean, I think, um, you know, even even dress and attire and what people were wearing at home, I think, you know. I noticed, um, you know, some some meetings, you sort of started off right at the beginning of COVID. Everyone was all still dressed up, very corporate, you know, hair and makeup done. I think by the end of the lockdown, a lot of people had moved on from that. Not talking about our own meetings at all. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I think you really you just, you know, and I think that the problem with that, I'm not saying everyone has to be in corporate attire every single meeting, a virtual meeting. But what that I think is it tends to in some ways the professionalism tends to blur as well and I think you, you really get that blurring of the boundaries and, and I'm, I'm thinking about what about social drinks, you know, what about firms or clients or, or people trying to engage that social culture and, you know, you might end up having everyone meeting for drinks, you know, virtual drinks. At, at what point, you know, does the workplace begin and end, Shay? And, you know, we've talked about some of this in some of our other Yeah, podcasts. I think that's
1: right and and where the, the policy says, you know, you're not allowed to have drinks at the workplace but mm. everyone Zero alcohol tolerance, zero yeah alcohol tolerance and therefore we're inviting people to breach our own policies Mm -hmm. and those policies are there and I think as you were saying earlier that the code you know talks about risk areas and alcohol is one of those risk areas so we're already inviting people to break our own policies which are set to, to be those controls that we have in place so I do think it's really critical that we revisit those policies in light of the pandemic, but particularly also in light of the introduction of the code that you were talking Mm. about. I I think we were talking before coming on air, I'll be allowed to say on air. Mm -hmm. um, Why uh, not? (laughs) About, in in my head we're on air anyway, about the consultation obligations in the code and perhaps some of the the challenges for employers that arises from implementing the code.
0: Yes, I think so, Shay. Because w- one of the things I, I think that having this now in in this material, in this guidance material from Safe Work Australia, means that you actually have to deal with sexual harassment as a safety issue, front and centre, called out squarely. Which means you then have to actually, you know, either eliminate sexual harassment so far as reasonably practicable, or otherwise, you know, if that's not reasonably practicable, then have to, you know, reduce or, or manage that to the extent, you know, reasonably practicable. And therefore, you, know, you need to be having controls. You need to be, you know, having looking, you know, through your business and, and and identifying I think these areas of risk and you know sort of the cultural piece you know intervening the material calls out intervening early and trying to prevent sexual harassment occurring and, and promptly ensuring the safety of workers but it also calls out you know consulting with your workforce in regards to sexual harassment given the known Knowledge that this is an underreported area and inviting people to come forward and I think that that might sit uncomfortably with some businesses to say well hang on we, we don't think there's a problem but we're now meant to go out and consult with our workforce and, and and you know maybe potentially stir up a hornet's nest and realize that we have a problem but I think it's obviously good to make sure that you you have a safe workplace and, and I think that's where the the code and the guidance is intended to, to go so interested in your thoughts on that show as and well.
1: I think recent media response to the the various parliamentary issues have identified the problem with underreporting and and what we've seen is this absolute tsunami of people mm. sharing their stories and in fact being invited in anonymous ways to find an outlet for that and that's a fantastic thing and i think the only way we will ever address truly, you know, it's a bit like domestic violence, until you can actually shine a light on it and show that actually the whole of the community finds this behaviour unacceptable, Mm. it won't stop. So, you know, I think that's a really important part of our healing as a a, nation. As a nation, yes. But as from an employment perspective, people have to understand that just because someone doesn't um, and I'm doing air quotes which you no can't can see, see <laughs> me at home <laughs> um, but because someone wants, doesn't want a complaint investigated or
0: wants to remain anonymous
1: wants to remain anonymous or gives complaints that has limited particulars as an employer when you become aware of that you have really been notified of a hazard and you have to do something about that so what you know or reasonably know has changed and whether a person would like it investigated or not and you do there are limitations to how much investigation you can do and you do have to protect that person's identity and protect their safety so I'm not saying that you ignore their wishes but you do have to actually take steps as an employer to make sure that the risk that you've now been notified of is addressed and sometimes that the, the extent that you can do that might be limited but you have to take what steps that you can so far as reasonably practicable so while I think that is a very good thing and and don't in any way take away from that I think employers have to understand once they are on notice they mm. actually have to do something about it and they have to do as much as they can with the information that they have available to them.
0: And I think that that, that confidentiality piece and, and that sort of protecting their identities and, and, and it you know, I, I can imagine that a lot of people in, involved in these matters are really terrified of victimisation, intimidation, potentially losing their jobs, you know, all of these things. It, it's such an area that is rife with issues that it's so important that people have those avenues to, to raise matters but at the same time balancing that as an employer balancing that as a business to know that you actually have to take action to to address that and you know i think that really does come back to that that cultural piece i know we've we've talked about this a lot throughout the, the podcast series so far but really that that cultural piece about bringing people on on the journey and i think we I was just in an ethics lecture earlier today actually and they said you know the conduct that you're willing to walk past it was an entirely different yeah, scenario yeah. but the, the the conduct that you're willing to walk past is the conduct that you're willing to accept and, and um and I think that is very true for for bullying and harassment and so I think everybody in an organization and particularly if you have any position of authority or or you know um, power and are able to make changes and able to do something can really you know step up in that sense and and not not put up with something you know walk past behavior that you know sort of oh, well hang on it's not
1: really my area it's not my oh, it's just a joke or or yeah. something you know those kind of you, stuff if, so. the, if the person who's the subject of the conduct is not going to make a complaint why should i do anything yes about it which really i think brings us to one of the other really important aspects is that when you consider it as a safety issue which it absolutely is mm. um that obviously then brings in your officer obligations That's because right. officers must take due diligence steps in accordance with the legislation that includes them ensuring that there's a system um, to address risks that they know the hazards of the workplace and the steps that are in place in the workplace to address those hazards and that there's a effective process for reporting and addressing incidents in a timely and effective manner i think i used effective twice but we really really want it <laughs> to be, be effective yes indeed you know, so so officers have those obligations, which means they really need to be testing the systems that companies have in place to actually address bullying and harassment and particularly sexual harassment. And society said that we're going to hold executives to account and we've seen that... Multiple examples recent, of that. Recent, ...recent very significant cases. But as well as that, the legislation says that we're going to hold people executives to account or officers to account and I think what we will see in the future is uh, less tolerance of companies that don't have in place effective measures to address sexual harassment but also more accountability to officers in this regard and seeing these matters you know we saw Scott Morrison talking about making parliament a safe place to work for women and we saw then really an outcry from people saying, well, really, workplaces need to be made safe to work for women. That's always been the case, but I think we're going to see... I think,
0: I, I think for any organisation now to, to say that they're not aware that sexual harassment is, a, is a, an issue is... is you know, sort of almost laughable, you know, yes. because it's just, you know, th- and I think that that really goes to the point about the what do we what do we know about the risks within our business and what do we ought, know ought reasonably to have known, and the ought reasonably to have known is now so much higher, I think, given, you know, the, the guidance material and everything that's happened recently. Um, Shay, you mentioned Parliament earlier, and I understand that well, the Sex Discrimination Commissioner Kate Jenkins is is conducting an independent inquiry into Parliament, and and that's set to be released, I think, in in November. But there could well be um, so the term of reference, say the review's aim is to ensure all of Commonwealth parliamentary workplaces are safe and respectful. And that I understand that's coming out in November. But given your co- those comments, I think about all workplaces and making sure that all workplaces are safe, there could well be some you know very uh, important lessons, I guess, coming out of that inquiry that we can all you know learn from and, and watch.
1: Um, and watch this
0: space, I guess.
1: I think absolutely, and I think that you know we'll see the code come into effect, presumably. Mm. and the states adopt the the national code and we will i think see perhaps changes come out after the inquiry that will be introduced probably through updates through the the code the material, material. Right. yeah
0: so do we have any hot tips shay on what what, what should businesses she, be doing about Shay's sexual harassment hot tips. Shay's hot um, tips. people
1: are going to be very bored um, when i say that they should review their policies and procedures again But I think that that is critical. Um, I think any workplace that doesn't have clear policies for dealing with sexual harassment complaints is is liable to prosecution, I think. I think that every organisation needs to review their policies and procedures and, and, again, think about how they may be impacted from the change in the nature of the work, but then also particularly around the ability to report anonymously and how anonymous reports might then be dealt with. Yes. Which then is the second tip which is I think reviewing our investigation processes and what do we do have a process to deal with anonymous complaints Um, and And I think we're going to get them you're going to get them as an employer (laughs) so
0: uh, I think it'd be front and centre a good idea to know what you're going to do with them.
1: And I think the third point is uh, again you know no surprises but it's about educating our people and There is a lot of anger. I've never seen so much anger in my working life around this topic. And there is, I think, a lot of confusion about what parts of it is a community standard and what part relates to workplace laws. And I think that people actually forget that a lot of this has already been dealt with and is dealt with in the current laws. Mm -hmm. And I think it's clear communications to employees about what what you are doing in that space or what plans and
0: policies you actually have to deal
1: with these issues and what protections are there for Mm. people you know I I I hesitate to say that people should also be educated on what behavior is right and wrong because I feel like you don't have to tell people not to have sex on a desk like that that feels to me like something we shouldn't have to say but there, there can be nuances as we talked about before around how the casual language can also create the workplace that would invite that sort of conduct to occur. So I think it's time to refresh training as well. cultural piece. Mm-hmm. Yep.
0: And and on that, I I'll just end up there, Shay. but one of the things I wanted to add is I would really encourage businesses to just have a, have a good read of the guidance material. There's some really useful tips in there in terms of recognising what I think might be um, areas that people perhaps might not ha- realise are a risk. I know that sounds are but there there really are some you know steps that they're setting out in there that would help businesses to identify the hazards or particular areas they might have realized might be creating a hazard in in their business so you know the low work diversity and and workplace culture power imbalances and and sort of alcohol you know overnight trips you know things that which hopefully we'll all be able to do at some point again in our very near future Um, but all of those things I think really do create some risk areas for business and, and, and to encourage businesses to then deal with those in accordance with the the provisions in the Act, you know, the Workplace Health and Safety Act. So I'll leave it there, Shay. but thank you very much for joining me and um, that was very interesting. Thank you.
1: Thanks for having me, Hilary.
0: If you'd like any further information, feel free to visit com. So you don't miss out on any episodes. You can subscribe to the Safety Pod on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or on your favourite podcasting app or platform.